2: A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this.
0: Adidas. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Welcome back, 365 Sports, a guy we haven't had on in far too long. Dan Lust, sports law attorney and analyst, uh, joins us now. You can follow him on Twitter, uh, or X as it's called, uh, Sports Law Lust. Uh, and, Dan, um, I know that, like, you know, college football is not supposed to be about lawsuits, but lately – it feels like it kind of is. Um, we There were three lawsuits filed today you haven't even had time to get to yet. That's how many lawsuits are going on uh, between the NCAA and the general, I guess, populace of people who want something to change in the NCAA. Well,
1: I think that's about right. I feel like people are seeing, uh, you know, the wounded duck in the water and people are just kind of going after it, but – yeah, I, I think three lawsuits filed today, and there's you know three or four big ones that have been pending out there. Not to mention a kind of interesting one about you know uh, just general eligibility between the overtime elite league, the NBL. I mean, I, I don't know. My, let, let's put it this way: the fast phone has been off the hook this past week, so it's been a long, game, long game of catcher, but all good. It
0: yeah. good. Uh, so, Dan, let's start with the new subdivision proposed by Charlie Baker in the NCAA that. Uh, appears that it's set up to uh, maybe prevent the the you know weekly lawsuit filing by kind of I don't know if saying giving them everything they want necessarily, but finding some sort of this is the first middle groundish thing that's been proposed so far with it's still compliant with Title Nine. They're not technically employees. How would this all work, given the? the the previous structure of the NCAA, yeah, okay.
1: So this this is um, I think it's a big potentially a big one. I guess we'll we'll break it down to its fundamental core. I'm sure you guys have been going over it this week. I mean, at at a baseline, what this is, I I think, a response to the SEC, the Big Ten, Big Twelve, these threats from conferences that that they may or may not leave the foundation that is the NCAA, like. There is nothing in the law that prevents, you know, for example, like the SEC to get up and leave and not be part of the, the general framework of college sports. Greg Sankey has said as much in his comments the past couple of days, the commissioner of the SEC. So the frame, the proposal by Charlie Baker is basically to create, we'll call it like, you know, uh, the super, well, the super conference, but under the NCA's roof, and it's a way to say, hey, if you are a have, you can opt in to this new program. The have-nots will stay back, you know, the group of five schools that don't want to spend the money but want to stay in Division One, And those halves can opt in, and they can create the rules. So The NCAA is basically saying – they're not saying schools can pay athletes directly. They're saying all bets are off. Whatever these schools that opt in, they can come up with the rules, including a rule as crazy as schools can pay athletes. So it's, it's a way to create the structure under the NCAA. So you don't have these power conferences, power schools. Ready to leave this framework and uh, you know take those dollars off the table when it comes to the
0: NCA. So, what would have to happen for this to get done, and what is realistic? Given um, again, there's lawsuits out there about players being employees, antitrust, all of that, uh, including you know the the framework of trying to fit it into Title Nine as well, which which seems like maybe one of the trickier parts.
1: I mean, how realistic is it? I, I I've seen a lot of blowback. From that Baker proposal, um, and, and I think you know some of the conference commissioners have noted that they weren't looped in on it. Um, you know, it, you have to just think logistically what would take care. Of, a, it's got to get approved, so that's that's number one, right? And the schools, conferences, the chancellors all have to be on board, which I'm not sure they have at this point. But beyond that, let's just talk logistically. You have to have a period for the schools to opt in, right? Uh, and then after that, you have to have a period for the schools to come up with the rules. And remember, once upon a time when there were schools and, and commissioners and, and trying to you know get these task force. Where they were trying to come up with a version of NCAA NIL back in 2019. So between end of 2019 and July 1 of 21, the NCAA had put together this task force to come up with NIL rules specifically for this purpose. And it took two years and they couldn't get it done. And by the time they had it, they got close. You know, obviously uh, was on with you guys way back when, uh, Supreme Court Alston decision kind of, you know, threw those plans in the trash. So it's at least, at least a year process to get this thing done. But. You know, I guess the the other complicating part, not to make this even more complicated, but if you have a conference where there's a really big divide between the have and the have not, and I have no sourcing on this, but, you know, for example, Vanderbilt versus in Alabama, there's a world where maybe Vanderbilt doesn't want to go into this, what I'll call super conference And what happens to the conference divide, but what happens to the TV schedule So. A lot of complicated unwinding that is uh you know we're not quite sure how it's going to shake out yet so hard to figure out a time frame at this stage
2: dan dan is this just charlie baker trying to you know throw something out there and kind of get the conversation kicked down the road a little further kind of a fire starter or uh how, how do you view that this attempt in general by charlie baker to get this conversation going forward
1: yeah that's that's the right question to ask why now why this of all time so You know, Charlie Baker's coming in. This is his first big uh, chess piece move as as conference commissioner. And, uh, you know, I've I've watched most of these federal NIL hearings. We've had about 10 since uh, the NIL law first was passed, or July 1 of 21. And Congress keeps pressing the chancellors, conference commissioners, and even Charlie Baker. What are you guys doing? You're asking for a bailout, right? You're asking for a federal law. You're asking for an antitrust exemption. What are you doing to deserve it? Because it seems a lot like to us that you're sitting on your hands and doing absolutely nothing while letting, you know, this, is, you know the wild, wild west kind of go out there. The sheriff, you know, sheriffless, there's no laws. People in schools do whatever they want. Um, and I think this is Baker's response to that. I think this is going to be Baker next time he gets in front of a microphone in front of Congress. He'll say, this is our plan. We have a real plan to get this done. And no one can yell at us as the NCA any, any longer for these archaic rules because we're going to allow the schools to modernize the rules themselves so in that sense, I think it's a smart move by Baker and he'll put the blame directly on the schools and the conference commissioners and all those debates like why is Alabama in the same conference you know as uh, not to pick you no know, I have small schools where where I'm from in New York New Jersey, Monmouth University why are those both Division one programs? so I, I think that's really the divide here and I, I think Baker you know you can't solve all the problems in one shot but I think this this checks a lot of boxes. not quite there and I'm not sure how realistic it is but the proposal itself does does make sense we'll see if it if it gets passed but yeah definitely a, a revolutionary proposal
0: so Dan how does this does it ward off any of the revenue i mean I guess revenue sharing would be the next thing if they can if they decide they can pay athletes whatever they want then they have to figure out where that money comes from but Revenue sharing, athletes as employees—like, how does this stave off any of that?
1: It's a great question. You guys are asking all the right questions. This is good. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's what it does itself. So, people are saying, "Oh, you have a super conference, and you have the laws, the schools, can the players." This looks a lot like pro sports. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't because who's making the rules in the scenario under the Charlie Baker proposal? It's the schools, not the players, not collectively bargained for. So we're not quite there. So, yeah, in theory, it solves a lot of problems. But the second you have a state that passes a, a you know, revenue sharing act, right, or um, you know, even you know, right now I think we're, we're waiting uh, for Dartmouth basketball to see if they'll be recognized as union, right, or any school that attempts to unionize and is successful, that's a very different question. So the same issue that we've had for the last two years, if a school and a sport within that school gets to be unionized, that could just throw a monkey wrench in anyone's plans. Um, and it's you know gotten pretty close a few times. Dartmouth basketball is the most recent challenge. Obviously, we started way back with Northwestern football. Penn State football got somewhat close, I think, about a year ago. So, yeah, this, that question of unionization and collective bargaining is much closer um, than I think many realize, and that would c- completely throw off these plans because then players would need to seat at the table when, when it comes to these rules. You have the possibility of strikes. Um, and it gets really complicated. So it, it to, to the question that you just posed, it doesn't, it doesn't solve that. It can't, it can't get all the way until we figure out where the players and in their voice and their required legal voice at the table falls.
2: Dan, perhaps that's the the answer here as well. But a question from our producer. uh, This seems to be all revolving around football, men's basketball, women's basketball. Paul brought up Title IX would still be in effect here. Um, So dollar for dollar, women's athletes would see the same as men's athletes. But how does this affect, do you think, the the other sports outside of the three uh, revenue generators? Is it just simply Title IX? You get get paid no matter what? or, Or what could you see the collateral damage being potentially to the other sports that don't bring in cash?
1: I mean, I think we'll see how it's taken out. Are schools going to be allowed to drop some sports back into the other side? It's, just, it's a little complicated. That's why right. Baker's proposal is really just a blank palette. He's saying these are what the schools can do if they want to go all the way to the extreme side. Um, I will say one thing, which um, you know, you guys know I'm from New York. Uh, Coach Rick Pitino over at St. John's had a really interesting comment that came out in the wake of Baker's proposal. So, if you do separate the have and the have-nots, right, and you you make a, the Power Fives in in the you know have situation, yeah, I think that makes sense. Because who's competing for the national championship, right? It's You know. Oh, everyone's going up in arms about Florida State, no one seems to care that Liberty's undefeated and it's not being anywhere near the college football playoff equation. Um, that's fine for football because we know the Power Five is, are the ones that are competing for the national championship. Now, when it comes to basketball, very different equation. If you separate the have and the have not, and they're not competing any longer for the same national championship, and you're getting rid of all those mid-major schools for basketball, we don't have something resembling March Madness. So it, it impacts basketball in a very different way than it impacts football. So, you know, in, in this day and age, we, we tend to group together football and basketball. But for purposes of this conversation, yeah, this makes a lot of sense for football to separate the have and the have nots. But uh, do we really want to kill March badness, um, you know, and, and with, with everything else going on? So I, I, I get to see a, a solution of how you, you save college basketball in its core. And I know, you know, obviously, Baylor is a huge basketball school. Um, but I, I, there's ramifications to Baker's proposal. Yes, it makes sense. It looks good. Uh, we can worry about Title IX as well. But yeah, basketball is not going to look uh, resemble the same come come March if Baker's proposal is approved.
0: So Dan, there are um, and we talked about it earlier. You haven't read all the the antitrust lawsuits, and some of them are about different things. You know, some of them are about transfer portals. Some of them are about employ like all those different like you know variables. So how do they? How, how does the NCAA keep an antitrust exemption uh, with all this stuff going on?
1: Well, they don't have one yet. I mean, yeah. the question is whether the federal, the federal government wants to give it to them. And it's, they're really getting nice from all end of the equations. I just, It's funny. I just wrote an article. It should come out probably next week about uh, this overtime elite, how those kids, some kids are being given status. They go to overtime elite instead of going to uh, you know college for the first year. And then they want to try to go to the NCAA. And the NCAA is picking and choosing who they don't want to allow eligibility to but to the question you just asked it's like you know if you let the schools come up with all of their own rules but they're still you know they're still renting a space in the nca's house but the nca doesn't get to call the rules you know let's pretend for our purpose, the conference is 18 years old they can come up with their own rules right all the stuff um it, it's still a question of like free competition do we want to allow the schools to compete against themselves and you have some cover from antitrust liability if you are allowing the schools to create their own rules, and you allow competition within that framework of the rules, so it's tough. You have Title IX issues, you have transfer, you have transfer issues. You have uh, NCA getting sued today for you know a, a transfer decision. You had the whole Tez Walker deal earlier in the year about not being allowed to transfer. But those are all NCA-based decisions. So I think maybe the NCA gives themselves some cover if they're no longer making the rules. But you know, to the larger question. That's all forward-facing. That's the NCAA's liability moving forward. It doesn't purge the harm that the NCAA's been accused of for decades and decades. And some of these lawsuits, you know, there's right now a a $4 billion class action lawsuit that's being alleged uh, over in California, you know, for back pay for what athletes should have made if NIL had been made legal before. So, you know, even assuming the NCAA makes these, these proper rule changes and they get saved with the antitrust exemption. There's still prior exposure, so yeah. This this I think the way to phrase this. This is the NCA's kind of last-ditch effort to try to stop the bleeding and change it moving forward. But yeah, there's there's um, ten figures of exposure from what has already occurred. So it, it might be a little bit too late.
0: I know that uh, like the day after Charlie Baker released that proposal for the new subdivision, Chris Murphy, senator from Connecticut, uh, he. Put out his uh, college uh, athletes or employees, and all of that was that uh, especially coordinated that way.
1: Um, I think probably. I think that's a fair fair assumption. I think everyone's trying to get their their piece, their soundbite. Um, you know, I, I I I've seen a lot in the last two years of this NIL era. I think politicians pop in and out. The truth is, on the federal side, right, we've had no progress whatsoever. So. People can propose all the legislation they want until it's approved. You know, it's just kind of kind of white noise in the background.
0: Stan, one of the things that people talk about, coaches talk about, programs talk about is they want guardrails from the government that would protect NIL. What could they reasonably do that they would not lose in court? Like even the government. Like what can the government do to put this on there? Because it doesn't, and, and they don't really seem. All that motivated to do it, other than lip service to you know the big issue of the day or that 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 month's committee hearing.
1: I mean, again, it's to the same to the same question. You want to put guardrails up, but I, I guess I, I do. I see that question, and people want to know how to fix the NCAA to save college sports. But we might be past the point of no return for saving what is the NCAA. I mean, that's where Mark Emmert left left the association while they're trying to find the grass They're trying to hire Charlie Baker all all the while, my understanding is while they're kind of trimming back staff and there have been some layoffs over at NCHQ. So I don't know if you can save the NCA. Could you change the framework of college sports moving forward and put in, you know, I guess, guess this, this is where my mind keeps going. And I don't know if there's an easy answer to it. The NCA certainly doesn't want to play watchdog. They don't want to, they haven't for two years been the one to enforce NIL. There's been no NIL punishment since July 1 of 21. And that's after, you know, 50 years of the NCA punishing people for like extra practices and, and impermissible conduct and taking away Heisman trophies. So we, we have yet to find the player that wants to be the one to enforce these violations. Um, so the NCA doesn't want to do it. The attorney general is based on state law. There's been no, no enforcement as far as I can tell from state attorney generals for schools violations. So we're looking. into the federal government want to play that role? If you watch the federal hearings, the, the Congress people, you know, congressmen, congresswomen, they're saying they're okay with that role. So you know, we have to have some enforcement mechanism if we're going to have any guardrails. But that that's the question I still still think is taking shape. Um, and while the you know the nil space is still kind of evolving day by day, um, you know, I, I'm I'm not sure they're so inclined to create a law until the space itself has some type of Stability, But as we saw with the Charlie Baker proposal, that's kind of out the window. So kind of wait and see. But it's a good question. Guardrails, enforcement, who's going to actually police this at the end of the day? Um, and, and so far, so far, no takers in the current landscape.
0: Yeah, and Dan, we're not uh, in a period uh, in, in American history where we're really great at regulation one way or the other. Right. We either overregulate or underregulate. We haven't found a nice middle ground in, in a lot of things. So, uh, especially given the divide in the, in the parties, it doesn't seem like that would be something that's going to be easy to get done anyway. That sounds about right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you said it well sounds about right yeah. well dan thank you so much i uh, always appreciate you coming on there's like a billion other lawsuits so we're gonna have to get into those uh eventually especially these ones concerning the transfer portal which um i, I know west virginia has one and and all of that about about kids you know it, not getting their waivers some do some don't uh and uh you haven't even gotten into those yet because they were all just filed today
1: I'm making my way alphabetically through the state office <laughs> to go one by one. West Virginia is toward the bottom. No, I'm just we'll, we'll make our way there. It's crazy. It's just, there's explosions everywhere you look. But, you know, as I, as I said at the top, it, busy is good, and uh, I will never complain about that.
0: Dan Lust, Sports Law Attorney. Thanks a lot, Dan.